you got to make sure you're still creating value. You got to always be evaluating your environment and recalibrating yourself or what you're doing based on what's happening and the people around you and, and make sure that you're still support, you're supporting your friends and you're not making new enemies. And like all of that stuff, you know, when you get comfortable is when, you know, you kind of take your eye off the ball, I think. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by leaving a review in iTunes. And thank you in advance. Michael O'Sullivan, how are you? I'm great, Paige. How are you? Pretty good. Michael O'Sullivan is Energy Industry Executive at Nutanix. So besides trying not to melt, how's everything going with Nutanix? I mean, given the COVID, the the lockdown, you so, know. So the good thing for us is that, I mean, we're kind of a distributed company anyway, right? We're Nutanix is headquartered in San Jose, but people like me are part of various field organizations. So, you know, we're kind of like working from home, working from wherever you are, things like that are, are pretty natural. So it's not too disruptive. And well, that's good. Yeah. And you know, the technology that we, the products, the software that we sell is really useful in a lot for a lot of people in these particular scenarios when they're trying to, you know, get more people working from home, more people working in the cloud, things like that. So anyway, you know, it's, it's actually been an interesting time for us to kind of step in and say, here's what we can do to try to enable some of these new objectives that people are facing. Awesome. So before you get too far into that, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. How I got started. Well, I, my, so my whole career has been in Houston. So you can't, it's hard to be in Houston and not get connected into the oil and gas industry in some way or another, especially back in olden times when I got started and the Houston economy was really even more heavily tied to the industry. So I, I got into, I'm really, I'm in oil and gas by way of the tech business and by way of being in Houston. So double whammy, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's good though. I'm, I'm not going anywhere else. It kind of all started back in, like in the nineties, I landed in IT. That's a whole nother story, probably for a different event. <laughs> a different podcast. <laughs> but I, I was in IT in the nineties when I, IT was really kind of really becoming its own thing and really taking on a life of its own. And so there was a, a boom around people who had those, that experience and those skills. And, and even people who didn't have the experience and the skills were able to just kind of get a leg up in this new push for, you know, everybody was getting computers on the desktops and, and we had ERPs, you know, we were all learning what ERP meant and, and databases and all of this and, and networks. And, and, and so I landed in that world and I was originally, you know, kind of in some other industries, just, just randomly, but I got the most experience. I worked in a large IT organization for a, a mutual, a large 
mutual fund company that used to be based that was started in Houston and eventually got got acquired into other companies. But that was where I had this team that was building this new thing called a website. <laughs> You're not dating yourself at all. At all. I said it was the 90s. I said it was the 90s. I didn't, uh, yeah. I didn't personally know Tim Berners-Lee, but I think a guy on my team did. Oh, that's neat. And so we had this team, we were doing this, this website, and it wasn't just like a website like with pictures and things like that. We had that, but... You know, we were, it was a financial industry, so we were connecting into backend systems and net asset values and, and, you know, but also like my team ran the whole, so IT didn't really do internet stuff back then. So we ran the firewall and the DNS and the, and all the servers and the internet, you know, the, the two T1s that came in from Sprint to basically like serve the whole company. And so I kind of had this whole like IT microcosm. We did development, we did infrastructure, we did security, we did graphic design, we did like the whole thing, like user, we didn't call it user experience back then, but that's what it was. And so that was where I got like the most sort of, I guess, experience with understanding all the parts and pieces of technology and how they all work together and things like that. So I say all that to say that then I became, you know, I kind of had a little bit of head of steam and I was like anxious to go do bigger and better things. And so I went into consulting, which a lot of people, you know, consulting, you know, large consulting companies were basically backing up trucks and hiring people during that time. So I went into the consulting world and you're in consulting and in your, and you're in Houston. And the next thing, you know, your customers are either operators or service companies. A lot of, a lot of oil field service companies were customers back then. And so that was when I really started to get to know something about the oil and gas industry. It was the most of all the industries that I worked with. It was always the most interesting. It had the most interesting problems. It had some of the most interesting people, especially Definitely. at that time. And well, it still has a lot of really interesting people. However, there was, we got a lot of exposure to the industry, but it was mostly what I would call like the back office functions that this has changed now because now consulting companies are getting invited into other parts of the business. But at the time, the really interesting part of the business, like the technical disciplines, you know, where like, like, like in, in seismic and reservoir modeling and drilling and completions and subsea planning and engineering, like all of that stuff, they didn't really bring the consulting companies, the IT consulting companies into. So we didn't really get much, I didn't really get much exposure to that until I got out of consulting and went and started working with a couple of smaller boutique software companies where we had software products that were aimed at those very specific problems and like seismic interpretation and another company that I worked with that did basically had like a, a digital twin solution for subsea planning and, and engineering. So mm -hmm. getting involved with the smaller software companies that had these, you know, as digital transformation was starting to become a thing a little bit. And then that was when I got a look inside, like to really understand the real part of where the business happens. And that of course is, is even far more interesting and, and trying to figure out how to use technology to enable and solve those challenges. So much of my career for the last, you know, probably 15 years has been, or more has been, you know, working with kind of in the, in the gap between tech companies and and oil companies or service companies to to understand what are the challenges what do they need to accomplish and then how do we like bring technology into those situations to create value so that's pretty much how i how i got into it that's what i've been doing and now with nutanix i came i went out 
you know, I joined Nutanix a few months ago to basically be that energy industry, oil and gas industry connection to build the relationship with the industry, help the industry understand what we can do, help Nutanix understand what the industry needs and figure out how can we bring value to our, you know, more specific value to our existing customers and, you know, other people that we haven't really, that we haven't met yet. So let's talk about some of the challenges you went through trying to wrap your head around oil and gas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the challenge. You just summed it up. We could probably, probably move on to the next question. Yeah, it is. It's big and it's complex. And every time you think that you know it's, you find out that there's like a whole area of things that I really don't know anything about. Or, you know, you realize for a long time, I thought, okay, I got a handle on this. I understand this industry. And and then I would realize, oh, really, I only understand upstream and I don't know anything about midstream and don't, I don't know what they do in a refinery. So, okay, (laughs) I got to go learn that. And, but one of the things that I was surprised to find out, so it used to be, and this is back when, at least in Houston, you know, I mean, one of the great things about the industry is, and the city of Houston is, you know, Houston today is extremely diverse and people from all countries and all places all over earth are in Houston. And it wasn't always that way, but the, but the oil industry has really, has really helped in a lot of ways to do that. But, but back in the day, there was, if you were, if you were working for, you know, a vendor, let's say your impression of people in the oil and gas industry was if they let you into the room and they're going to try to figure out whether you know anything about the industry. And the first time you use the wrong word, you know, and call it a tower report instead of a tour report, <laughs> they're going to throw you out and they're going to say, you don't understand what, it, and, and so there's this fear, like, like, how do I learn about this industry? Because people like there's these mean people in there and they're not going to, and they're going to think I'm an idiot because I don't know like how a well gets drilled. So I, it turns out they're not like that. And I don't know how we on the on the vendor side of the business got that impression. I don't know, maybe some, somebody wore a suit and walked into a meeting. Yeah, somebody, exactly. And, <laughs> um, but what I found out was that the people when I did get to meet with people and work with people, they were more than happy to explain to me how the business works and or or you know some of the technical aspects and 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 they were happy to what they didn't like is if i pretended like i knew it and i really didn't but if i walked in and said you know help me understand this and then i'll i'll see what i can do to help you then i found that people were very willing to help me learn and so that was that was kind of how i started to get my head around it and and like develop relationships you know and people that i could call up and say and, and take to lunch back in days when we used to go to lunch. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I could say, hey, like, help me understand this or tell, explain to me how this works. And so that was a big challenge. But I think another challenge that I've always found in this industry, I think, is like it's not for the faint of heart. Oh, not by any means. You know, yeah. And it, and it doesn't make it any easier that there's so much... I'm going to say like passion around, you know, around people who think that the industry is great or think that it's not great. And people, you know, there's a lot of controversy and turmoil and conflict related to this industry. And it's hard. Some And those of us, you know, I mean, like I, I've had friends recently who have called me and said, hey, like 
Like, is it over for this industry? Like, should we like look and do something else? And I always, I'm like, well, a hundred million barrels a day of, you know, demand doesn't just disappear. Like it's, so it's like just hang in there. But I think it's hard to be, it's hard for people sometimes to maintain their morale, you know, and stay motivated, which is why I think one of the great things about the podcast that you guys do, what I hear a lot of times is it helps people it's kind of like this support network and it helps people stay positive and stay motivated in spite of, you know, it being a, it's a volatile industry. It has ups and downs, right? It's a commodity business, but it's a commodity business that requires exorbitant amounts of risk and capital to produce anything. So absolutely. So it's kind of treacherous in some ways. And so I think that's, that's a challenge is just staying, staying positive and staying motivated. I think the podcasts kind of create this, this, club this community of people that that it does a lot of good in that regard and I, yeah i absolutely agree i'm also the co-host of oil and gas this week with mark lacour and we actually had a review the other day and this woman called us a beacon of hope and, and <laughs> we both we both we both teared up yeah i don't think i've true. ever thought of it from that perspective so i'm, I'm glad that this brings Something to someone. If I help one person or I encourage one person by doing what I'm doing, it's totally worth it. I think I think you're encouraging a lot of people. I think it's also it's hard for people. It's one of those industries where sometimes you don't even want to tell somebody like 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 if you meet somebody like I hate when people say ask me this question. What do you do? Because, you know. First of all, it's hard to explain. Second, right. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah. How much time you got? Like, well, yeah, it's like I always wanted to have one of those jobs where I could just say, like, I'm a mailman or, you know, I'm a teacher and everybody knows what that is. But also, you never really know how people are going to respond because it is kind of an emotionally charged topic, this industry. And, you know, you don't know how you, you might be walking into an argument that you weren't planning on, on having. And so, so it's good for people to know that there's like, like we're kind of all in this together and everybody has, you know, kind of that moral support. Yeah, I'll fight someone. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, come on the other side of that keyboard. Let's talk about this. <laughs> not really. I'm not trying to start a bunch of crap, but I don't doubt it. But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely will stand up for my industry because it's not going our, our industry is not going anywhere. No, it's, it can't. It's just it's just hurting right now. I mean, I've been laid off twice in my career and, you know, it happens. It's the nature. It's the nature of the beast. And it's just life. But you got to you gotta keep keep your head up and look ahead. Move forward. Exactly. Yes. So let's talk about your role at Nutanix and some of the services you all offer. But most importantly, the solutions that you bring to these problems and what makes it different? Yeah, okay. So Nutanix is a software company. We have a whole portfolio of software products that are not specifically, I mean, we have we have customers in all industries. So because we provide computing infrastructure that lots of things can utilize. The reason why I came to Nutanix is because I had some friends in the Houston area who said, they said, we got it. We need somebody to, to come on board and who like, who understands the industry and can help us help us at Nutanix gear and, and shape what we're doing to create value in this industry. And so 
that was kind of the beginning of the conversation. So then I had to, and I knew something about Nutanix at the time, but it wasn't really, I needed to learn more. And so the, the short version of what we do and what we have is the mission, really the mission of Nutanix is to bring cloud computing everywhere. So not just, not just in the cloud as we think about it. So you think about in the cloud and you think about in AWS or you think about in Azure, places like that. Right. But cloud computing is like a, is, is a particular way of arranging all the stuff, you know, the, the computational stuff in the data and the network and all like, like it was, it's a different way of doing that from traditional systems development. And this was figured out by the early cloud companies, and it resulted in something that they call hyperconverged infrastructure, HCI. And, and we don't have to really get into that, but the point is that if you went into a Google data center or an AWS data center, or even back in the day, you went into a Yahoo data center, <laughs> you would, what you would see is like a whole different arrangement where basically it's all the same hardware And you don't have like all these different types of hardware and systems that do all those different things. It's just racks of the same kind of computers. And the software defines everything, everything from the compute to the storage and the network. It's all defined by the software. So there are reasons why that has a lot of advantages. But like the the, like I'll skip to the end, which is that that is cloud computing and that can bring goodness to anywhere that a company is has has systems running. So in other words, the data you know besides the cloud, the data center, the edge which is becoming has become really important in oil and gas. We can talk about what's happening at the edge and why that's so critical to to digital transformation. But our mission is to say let's not just say you know a lot of oil companies started saying cloud first, cloud first, cloud first. I just like to say, forget about cloud first, just cloud everywhere, just cloud anywhere, cloud everywhere. And what happens is it kind of changes the game in terms of what you can do from that point forward and how you're able to really get the value from the innovation. So you get the, you get all this digital innovation that's coming into the industry around analytics and automation and and digital twins and all those things. But to get value out of those things, you got to get them out of the lab and actually out into the real world and run them in what we know in this industry is an incredibly complex, distributed environment across disciplines and geographies and even companies. So what works really nicely in the lab, you know, that your data scientists can do whatever this thing, when you try to like circle the globe with that, it becomes it becomes a challenge, and there's there are these poor IT guys at the other end of that that train <laughs> that are like, I don't know how to make all this work on top of everything that we're already doing out here in all these complex environments. So what Nutanix Nutanix has a whole portfolio of software products that that are all like like we could get into all the specific things that each one does, but when you put them all together, they create this plat this this cloud computing platform that goes anywhere runs anything at scale and there's a really huge emphasis on simplicity and ease and the ability to just quickly and easily deploy support operate you know with with minimal you know you don't need like 500 people running around to keep it all to keep it all going so on top of that platform 
Now you can say, let's say if you're talking about at the edge and you have all your like existing operational systems that do all the things that they are, they've been doing for however many years and they're still running on Windows 7 and with like, ser- <laughs> with like serial like connectors into the back of the computer, like we can take, we can run all that on the platform and we can run all the new digital stuff that is coming out that requires like cloud services and containers and micro segmentation and like all of the new, and we can put all that together into like this one happy environment where, you know, you can, where it's secure and it's scalable. And now you can actually begin to uh, get the value from, you know, so your, your digital transformation initiatives don't, create any actual value unless you're able to deploy and operate them in the real world. So that's kind of how we come into the into the picture. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, that's a major gear shift from, okay, let me, I got to think one piece of advice. That's what I'm here for, shifting gears. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking <laughs> about solving the global problems of digital transformation and oil and gas. And now I got to think of a piece of advice. So I think the best advice that I could give anybody is is about collaboration. And and I, pro- I may have a little bit different take on this, so this might not be the usual collaboration teamwork answer that, that you usually hear. But, you know, there's a big focus today, or has been for some period of time, this focus on teams, right? Building high-performance teams, you know, how to, mm-hmm. how to lead teams, how to teams, teams, teams. And, you know, the old, like, there's no I in team. But the fact is that teams don't get hired and teams don't get fired. Usually, there's some occasions, but for the most you gotta part, you got to mess up real bad it's, <laughs> for yeah. the whole team to go. Right? Yeah, and the horse you rode in on. But typically, individuals get hired, individuals get fired, and ultimately, we're all measured individually on our own what we're able to contribute or what we're able to accomplish and make happen. So there is a sense that says, you know, I think the answer to how to, instead of how to build the perfect team or be part of the perfect team, I think collaboration, learning how to just not only collaborate with other people, but cause collaboration to happen and use and whatever it is, whatever idea it is that you have and whatever it is that you want to accomplish figure out how to bring other people into that process. And it doesn't matter whether you're a leader or whether you're an individual contributor, like where you are in the hierarchy. If you can, if you can set your sights on a goal, but then figure out how do I include other people in this? And you have to recognize that not everybody is, there's a difference between mental collaboration and physical collaboration. So you're not going to get everybody to like, it's sort of like the old thing, right? Like nobody wanted to be in a class project in school because there's always that one person, right? Who isn't going to do anything and they're still going to get right. Or maybe there's like the one person who is actually going to do all the work and nobody else does anything and everybody gets great. So we all hated that in school. But the fact is in the, in the, in the business world, in the work world, it doesn't really matter as long as you accomplish the goal, because what you want to do is you want to be able to accomplish that thing, plant that flag and then move on. Right. So I think, learning how to collaborate with people, learning how to bring people into your thought process and get whatever you can out of them. Even if it's just an idea, even if you're the one at, at, at nine o'clock at night that has to put it all into the PowerPoint or the spreadsheet or whatever it is, bringing other people into the process does a few things for you. One is, is you get other people bought in to whatever it is that you're advocating. 
also there is you get whatever you get the benefit of whatever they bring to the table you know even if it was just an idea or some sort of like you know non-tangible input you get the value of that but you also you know when that thing is is accomplished whatever it is and i i try to always i always say we whenever i'm telling whenever i'm telling somebody here's what we did i always say what we did even if i know darn well that i was the only one who did it right but i always yeah say we because kind of politically organizationally we sells really well and if you can be perceived as somebody who was able to cause other people to work together and accomplish something then like that's a win for everybody your company benefits you benefit your career benefits and it doesn't really matter if like that one guy sat in the corner and didn't do any work so to me i've always found that the more i can just and i always talk about all the people who were involved. And sometimes they're surprised to find out that they were involved. <laughs> but, <laughs> Surprise. But, but it just creates a really good picture and it creates really good energy and it helps you like accomplish things. And I think if, if we just had a whole bunch of people who were really good, not only good collaborators, but good at causing collaboration to happen, then I think we wouldn't need all these like magic formulas for how to create like great teams. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And and it's almost as though even though someone just contributed just a small amount, you're also encouraging them by going, hey, look, no, we all did this. Exactly. All of us did this. Exactly. Right. And then that might in- encourage them to to put more into it. Right. Exactly. And it keeps you it kind of keeps you on the right side, like on the right emotional side of the game. Right. And you get a lot of deposits in the emotional bank account. So it's a good place to be. Good. Good deal. What book influenced you the most and why? <laughs> Are you looking at a bookcase? Because everybody's been looking at their bookcase lately. <laughs> so, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a really short little preface to this that says I'm not a big reader of like business books, like especially like kind of modern trendy business books, because I feel like all of those books, and there's some great ones that have been written and they've benefited people, but I, I think that a lot of these books that they try and I won't use it, I won't throw out any titles, but you can they try to capture a formula for success, right? Because it worked for somebody else. And now we've tried to figure out how to make that repeatable and put it in a book. And, but I think that what, if you look at success stories and it doesn't matter whether they're like really big success stories or small success stories, what you find is the pattern isn't like the, the, the playbook. The pattern is the attributes of the people who were leading it. And so I think the best thing that you can do is instead of reading books is to look at the people that you, you admire who have been successful and either try to develop the attributes that they have or just, you know, if that's kind of outside of who you are, then align yourself with people who have those attributes. And I think that's that's kind of almost like I, finding a mentor. Yeah. Or, you know, or just like getting in somebody's crew or whatever it is you got to do. Right. So. So that's kind of how I feel about. Ha- so, but that said, I will I, actually I'll, I'll mention two books that have been really that whenever people ask me what books have influenced you, I always think about these two things. One is back in the nineties, there was a book written called the power to persuade by a guy. I think his name was Richard Haas, H A A S S. He was a diplomat, state department type of person. And he wrote this book, the power to persuade. We used to call it the power to wear suede. But, <laughs> um, but he, I like that. Yeah. And his whole the whole premise of the book was how to get things done in like either government or any other unruly organization where nobody's really in charge, which, 
you know, kind of describes, especially in modern, in a, a lot of modern settings, you know, we don't have, you know, companies aren't really structured where like, you know, in a extremely hierarchical and people tell you, like, it's like, it's very fluid, right? And, and you have to be able to figure out how to accomplish things when you don't really like when you can't just set a decree and make it happen, but you have to kind of like wrangle people from different groups at different levels. And he kind of uses this compass metaphor for how to do that. So that kind of goes back to my thing about collaboration and how you like bring, get people into the mix. So that book is a great one, you know, to read as far as how you can wield influence in places where you don't necessarily have any authority. The, the other book I want to mention real quick that is still floats around. It still is always on my desk wherever I go. And this was a book that Esquire put out some years back. It's just a little, tiny little book. It's like, it's like five inches by five inches. And it's called, it's something like, like handshakes, white lies, and which fork goes where. And <laughs> what is it? Handshakes? Uh, handshakes. Yeah. Here. Oh, here it is. It's handshakes, white lies, and which fork goes where. And it's a book about basically about business etiquette. And it's done in a humorous way. It's the sort of book where there's there's just a few things written on each page. And most of it is there's a bit of like witty sarcasm kind of woven through the whole thing. But well, that's kind of that's kind of my language. So, yeah, but it's you know, it says things like, you know, that thing you do where you make the bunny ears with your fingers like don't do that. And- <laughs> And so, like it. so it's a, but, it, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where you flip through every once in a while and you go, it's good to remember some of these rules about like, like etiquette and how to, how to, how to present yourself as a professional and how to communicate professionally and how to, and how to, and, and how to make sure you don't do the things that you're really not supposed to do and things like that. So I always, I always flip through that one over you. It kind of reminds me of NCIS where they have the, Gibbs the rules. rules. Gibbs rules. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. It's exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What's your most used business tool? Oh, it's got to be my phone. You know, I guess it's a business tool. I think I've been a thumb typer for a long time. In fact, so we were joking before about pagers. Actually, I started thumb typing way back, even before, you know, black and I, and I had a Blackberry for a long time. And before that, I even remember the Blackberry before it was a phone. Like it wasn't even like, like it became a phone later, but originally it was basically just a, an email device at an internet. But before that we had these pagers that like, like StarTech or whatever, and the top would flip up and there was a little keyboard there and you could send messages to people. I don't know if you remember that or not. I don't remember that. I just remember the regular old pagers. Yeah. Well, the beeper. Yeah, no. So the beeper became this thing like it had a little flip top and you could you could type messages to other people who were on the same network and things like that. So I've always had I've always been kind of, and you know, being in the consulting industry for so long and then, you know, later in software, like I've always been kind of work anywhere, anytime. You've always been connected. Or ball and chain, as some people like well, to call it. Yeah, or disconnected when I, you know, need to do something else. And so the point is that, like, of course, now I'm now we're all more or less sitting at home, right? But I mean, I can go whole days without opening my laptop and just do everything with my phone because I'm just kind of used to. It used to be when we were allowed to like leave our houses. You know, during the daytime, I would mostly be running around talking to people talking to customers, talking to team members, right? Like I always felt like daytime hours are for interacting with people 
And then, and so a lot, cause I've probably written more emails on my phone than I have on anything else, but I always like daytime hours were for connecting with people. And then, you know, if I need to do my own stuff, then I'm doing that usually in the evenings, which gets to my other most used business tool, which is actually my back porch, because that's where, that's where all the, all my best proposals have ever been written and all my... I actually spend a lot of time on my back porch too. Maybe not so much today because it's like 110 degrees. Yeah, you got to wait until it gets yeah. down below 95. But yeah, I, I do. In fact, anybody who's worked with me over the years know that all my best work has been done at night on my back porch with like whiskey and a cigar. Like they all, exactly. like they all have that picture somewhere in there in there. Yeah. And so that it's a, I don't know if it's my most used business tool, but it's probably the most valuable. Yeah. It kind of gives you your own space and it's not stuck in, you know, between four walls and a fluorescent light. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so who do you think you would say is your most respected competitor? And you don't have to say names or anything like that. If you don't, no, I can say names. So I'm going to go with it. Amazon, AWS, Amazon Web Services. Oh, so the sponsor of the show. Hmm. Sponsor of the show is, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're, you know, in some ways, Nutanix and Amazon are partners, you know, like our stuff runs on their stuff and we partner. Yeah. And in other ways, we're competitors, you know, just to, sort of depends on the scenario. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, in the oil and gas industry, there's a lot of relationships like that, right? Where people are, are collaborating over here and then competing over there and it's food. But the reason why I think of them is because, I mean, their technology is great and all that, but they have an unbelievable ability to attract and hire talent. I feel like every other day I look at LinkedIn and I see somebody that I used to work with that is now at AWS <laughs> at all levels. Like, you know, oh, he used to be the CEO of a company. Now he's at AWS. Oh, he's right. Like, like, and particularly they have really invested in the oil and gas industry in ways that some of the other, some of their primary competitors have not. And, and in a way to, to become relevant and, you know, to, to be more than just a, an infrastructure company. So I, I think it's admirable the way they've been able to do that. Well, yeah. And, you, and I remember Google making the announcement that they're not doing anything to support oil and gas and AWS came out and was like, well, we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you may not be doing anything, but we are. Yeah. There's a lot of like off microphone stories we can talk about. As, oh, yes. But, you know, I think they've done a great job. I, I know a lot of people that I've worked with in other places in the industry, both on the tech side and on the business side, that, you know, all of a sudden I look at their, I look at their profile and, oh, he's at AWS now, she's at AWS now. So they seem to be really serious about it. And I don't know what they're offering people, but I'd like to, I'd probably like to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like they're reeling in some great, some really great people, some great talent. I know a guy if you need, if you need it, which also reminds me, I, I guess I forgot to mention at the very beginning of the show, you also have something else in common with AWS Energy is that Nutanix sponsors the oil and gas tech show with Mark LaCour. That's right. Yeah. So I'll make sure to also put that in the links for everybody to check out if you're interested. But what would you say is your most important lesson learned? I got to go with never get comfortable. I think all of the low parts in my points in my career, I shouldn't say all of, I'm just going to go with both of um, both <laughs> <laughs> I don't want there to be that many, but, but the low points in my career have always followed. We're not too long after the highest points. And it's because in fact, I always think about, so one of my, one of my sons who's now 
21. When he was little, I, he was probably eight or nine. And we got in the car one day and he had something with him. I think it was like a spear. Like he had his spear with him. And, <laughs> Who, and, who's giving their kids spears, man? I think he, I think he like carved the end of this stick that he found and turned it into. He's creating shanks or. Yeah. Something like that. So, <laughs> and he was just like sitting there like very like nonchalant. And I, so I looked at him and I'm like, well, what's with the spear? And he looks at me like just really matter of fact. And he says, bad guys, like they're everywhere. And it was just like, okay, well, you got your spirit. But I always think about that because like there are bad guys everywhere. Not, not, I don't mean necessarily in the sense of like actual people, bad guys, but like the world is not a very safe place. And the business world is is not very safe. And even there are certain things kind of about our own humanity that are working against us, right? Like, like we make mistakes when we're tired, right? Or we get sloppy when we're comfortable. And yeah, don't become complacent. Yeah. Because like the bad guys, like the, I'm using the term metaphorically, right? Are kind of like right there ready to ruin your day. And so what I've learned, there were times when I, you know, it was kind of at a high point and you start to feel kind of, you know, indestructible or invincible and I'm great, I'm wonderful. And then, and what you don't realize is like, if you don't stay vigilant, then either you're going to, you don't, you got to make sure you're still creating value. You got to always be evaluating your environment and recalibrating yourself or what you're doing based on what's happening and the people around you and, and make sure that you're still support, you're supporting your friends and you're not making new enemies and like all of that stuff, you know, when you get comfortable is when, you know, you kind of take your eye off the ball, I think. So my son was not, he was comfortable in the car, but he had his spear with him. Like he was ready. In case. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for something to jump and, out. And or... so I always think about that. And I always think, you know, it's, you really have, and I, I definitely learned that the hard way on more than one occasion where all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, how did I end up like on the wrong side of the fence here? Like it happened when I wasn't even paying attention and now like I'm in a bad spot. So that would be my most important lesson learned. Well, that's good. So what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> They're all great, obviously. They're all wonderful. I would I was expecting you to say only gas tech. Come on. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I just set you up. I, I <laughs> I'm just like, kidding. That is a good one. It is a really good one. <laughs> but you know, I think this week, this week is probably because it's just a really great way to just stay Kind of stay in touch with to keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Yeah, I think I got it down. (laughs) You should have a tagline that says that. But also, the way you guys do it is good because, like, a lot of times I don't get to listen to a lot of podcasts because a lot of times you have to, you really need to sit down and listen, right, and pay attention. Whereas with this week, I can kind of have it on, kind of like the radio, and like on a Monday morning or whatever, like while I'm doing other stuff and I can kind of pick up on things and all that. But I also think that that one seems to do a lot of good for that thing we were talking about before, as far as what was it? A beacon of hope or beacon of hope. Yeah. yeah. That one does a lot of good, I think, because, you know, you, you take questions and, and the, and the topics are really broad. And so it's very inclusive, right? It's like, like it's sort of, I think it helps to everybody in the industry to feel like, they're plugged into something. Well, I pick all those articles, so I hope I'm doing some good. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to touch everything in one episode, so I try to keep it as broad as possible. 
it's hard to wade through all the bad news all the time too. Well, yeah. Well, and we try to include some of that stuff, but a lot of it's just someone not in the industry complaining. Yeah. Right. Or making a prediction. Those are my right. Right. All these predictions. So by people that are not even, even plugged in in any way. So, so yeah, it's a good, it's a good podcast. Good. I appreciate that. Well, all right. Well, thank you for joining me again, Michael. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Nutanix, how can they go about doing that? Well, for me, you know, I'm my LinkedIn profile is I, I can't say that I look at it every single day, but I, I stay pretty well connected to what's happening with my network on LinkedIn and all my my contact info is available that way. And Nutanix.com is the website for Nutanix. Perfect. And, yeah. And I'll, and I'll put those links in the show notes so anybody can just go in and Give it a good old click. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.